0: How you guys doing this morning? All right. Now, wasn't the snow awesome yesterday? What do you guys think about that, man? It was cool. It came down for a little bit. It's coming down for an hour, and I says, "Oh, that's awesome." Two hours, okay. After three hours, all right, Lord. <laughs> uh, we get the hint. Now, I know a lot of people are blaming all kinds of various conspiracy theories and reasons as to why it might have snowed and how it keeps snowing and at, at, at this elevation. But you know what I have found is since 1949, it's snowed about. Every twenty years in San Bernardino, uh, in 1949, it was recorded—the first recorded snow level, which lasted about a week back then. So, it happens. 49, 69, 89. I think 2007 was the last one, and uh, this year. So, it was, a it was a blessing. It was fun. It was cool. You know, I just—I'm just sorry I didn't have my grandkids with me. I went out and played in it. I don't know. I was like trying to catch the snow, and they were, they were too. Yeah. So was I. Ah oh, <laughs> what what an awesome time. Well we took pictures of course and don't need to go to the snow now. Very good. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter three. We're going to Colossians chapter three. Before we start, I'm gonna ask if there are any prayer petitions that you may have. <clears throat> anybody would like to lift up a prayer p- concern? Yes, James? Yeah, uh, we have a friend uh, 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 uh So Jerry's his name and the family's name is The 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 Howie's Uh-huh. All right, anybody else? Yes, Jen. How you doing? I'm say, um, good. Uh, is at the and like Oh. What's his name? Bob. Bob. Okay. Pray for Bob. All right. Yes, Richard. Yeah. I was wondering about that yesterday, wondering, okay, what happened to all these guys? Hope they're staying warm. Yeah. Don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, our sister Terry Neri had a, a heart attack here a while back. They gave her a, a double bypass, a triple bypass. They were supposed to give her a triple Just one, huh? Yeah, they were supposed to give her a triple, and they only did the one, so we're praying that she gets better. Terry Neri. Or, yeah, we affectionately call her Nana. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you once again for being so good to us and helping us to remember that we do need to surrender all. Now, Father, as we come to this portion of Scripture and we start to read the things that we are to take off and the things that we are to put on, and how we are to address as your chosen ones, I pray, Father, that you help us to understand that all things are according to your plan. These aren't suggestions. These aren't things that um, you wish we would do. These are commands. And as such, the Apostle Paul gave it to the people in Colossae so that we can study it even today and to see the effects in our life. And Father, we we thank you for your presence and, and all that you've blessed us with these last few years and, and how you've blessed us with this snow yesterday and just the abundance of rain. And you give and you take away. It all comes from you and it all, it all goes away because of you. No other reason, no other purpose, only you, Lord. And you allow things to happen in a certain manner to accomplish your ultimate goal. So, Father, this morning, as we do remember those that are not feeling well, we pray and lift up to you, uh, Terry, for us. And we pray, God, that you help her and you help her to heal and, and to, to, to be strong and that we may see her again here. I thank you for her family that has been drawn together and, and hopefully even drawn closer to you as well. And so we pray for that uh, divine touch and the, the healing that you can bring. We pray for the Howies that lost their, their family member. We lift up Jerry's family to you, Lord. And, and only you know the pain that, go, that is caused by a loss so deep and so uh, tragic, it may seem like. But God, I pray you bring people around them that, uh, that can minister to them, that can hug them and show the love of Jesus Christ. So, Father, you are the Father of all compassion, the, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we, in turn, can comfort others. And so, Lord, we thank you. We pray for Jan's ex-son-in-law. We pray, lift up to you, Bob, in his last days. And Father, I pray that he's come to a place where he recognizes who you are. More importantly than this cancer that has invaded his life, that he comes to know a saving knowledge of you and, and that, that he recognizes that without you, uh, there's nothing left after this after this world. And so, Lord, if not, I pray that you bring somebody around him to encourage him and to lift him up to pray for him. And if he has, Lord, I pray that he just holds on to your truth that all things are going to work together for good because you love him and are called according to his purpose. So, Lord, we pray for those that are not able to have the blessings that we have, like a warm shelter, like this church building, like our homes and our vehicles. We pray for all those that are doing without. And, Lord, we pray your blessing upon them that somehow somewhere just a divine touch may come up against that for them lord so lord as we dive into your word as we said earlier we pray that you make it real in our life help us to know what it is that we need to do and how and give us the strength and the power to do so so lord we we've already been made new now help us take off the old i pray in jesus name and everyone says amen, amen and amen all right pull out your outlines <clears throat> once again we are in colossians chapter 3 i'm going to be finishing up what we talked about Last week, as a matter of fact, we just touched a little bit on uh, one portion of scriptures. You remember, in chapter in chapter three, uh, verse verse nine, the second part it says, and have uh, actually verse ten, and have put on the new self which is being renewed. Uh, in verse twelve, I mentioned, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And we, we focused on God's chosen ones. I mean, we could have gone just right over it, but there was a, there was a need for us to really look at how God has chosen us. And, and if uh, you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to look online. I think we have them on YouTube, the message on God's chosen. It was the doctrine of election. And, uh, and I pray that it blesses you and it blessed you as well as it did me. But here we are in chapter 3, as I mentioned before, what Paul has said, he's talking to the people in Colossus, Colossus is dealing with all kinds of turmoil, there's um, there, there, there is new teaching coming in, there's, there's, there's this uh, Gnosticism that's being taught, that uh, anything that you touch, everything that you see, everything that's around us, is all it's all matter, and it doesn't matter what you do with it, what matters is your... Uh, your wisdom, your intellect, the smarter you get, the wiser you get, the closer you get to God. So then the body, it doesn't matter. You can eat, drink, and be merry. It doesn't matter what you do with it. And because of that thinking, they, they believe that because our bodies and everything that is matter is, is, uh, it doesn't matter or is not good because it's, it's evil, then they surmise that, well, Jesus Christ couldn't have not, could not have been a man because you know, it's, it's all matter. And so their argument was, if matter is evil, Jesus Christ could not have been a man. And so they had come to this conclusion that when God created the world, He sent these impulses or these power surges, and they call them emanations, from God that came down and, and each one of these emanations were, were uh, translated or transformed into certain things. And one of these evil emanations, they built this world, created this world, and uh, because this world was created by a bad emanation, a bad spirit or a bad force, then everything on the planet was bad and, and so therefore it was evil and it didn't matter what you did to the planet, it didn't matter what you did to yourself. And so the only way to rectify that or to, to get to know God is to get to understand who He is. And so they sat around, and they thought, and they, they prayed, and they had all these uh, revelations and ideas and thoughts. And they went into these trances, and they, they convulsed all over the place. And sometimes they use some sort of uh, mind-altering drugs to get them to the place of understanding or the spiritual realm. And so it, it was very chaotic that they were teaching the church, uh, in, this, in this whole emanation thing, one of those emanations uh, was Jesus Christ. And so when he, Jesus Christ came, He was a good emanation, by the way. And so they, they worshipped Him and they loved Him and they knew that He was the Savior, but He just could not be man. And what we talked about in Colossians earlier in chapter 2, uh, specifically in chapter 1, that, that Paul says in chapter 1, just to, just to read it in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What Paul was talking about, he says, look, all these things that you guys are being taught, that all these emanations and things, no. Jesus Christ, number one, first of all, he's God. You know, he's not just an emanation. He's not just a spirit. He's not just a something floating around the earth. Because he was an emanation, they believed that Jesus Christ could not have left the footprint. He literally glided throughout the world. And so these are the thoughts And and on top of all of this. And there's a lot more that goes to that. We've gone through it, gave you a sheet on some basic beliefs of Gnosticism. And And then on top of that, there was the Jewish idea of coming in, that you had to keep the Sabbath day, you had to keep the laws, you had to keep the customs, you had to be circumcised, you had to be Jewish, basically, in a sense. So here's a church in Colossus, and there's three other churches in, in uh, two other cities. There's three churches total. And these churches are being taught all this, in, all this stuff, higher learning, new revelation, uh, this, this idea that, that you, by the more you know, the more you grow. And, and God was saying, Paul was saying, look, the word is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. He is all you need to know. And so, as he has taught all this in the first couple of chapters, then he gets into the practicality of it. Okay, here's how you put it into practice. Here's how you work through this. Here's how you put this into your life. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, If then, and he's not asking, you know, if, if you're saved. No, he's saying, because then, because of, because you are saved, because you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. If you're a believer... If you are a committed Christian, committed your life to Christ, and if you've given your life over, then if you've become a believer of Jesus Christ, your life should change. The old self is dead. You have died in Christ. That dead self has to be put away. What do you do with a dead body? You bury it. (laughs) Otherwise, it starts to stink. And there are a lot of Christians, or so-called Christians, that are walking around that have not buried that old self. And it stinks. And you know, beloved, I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons a lot of people do not want to come to a church is and become a Christian, as Gandhi once said, you know, Christianity is probably the best of all the religions. But the only reason I don't become a Christian is because I know too many of them. And we are carrying around this old, dead body. And it's amazing, beloved. I mean, we say we're Christians. We say we believe. And yet, we act like the world. We talk like the world. We, we profane like the world. As a matter of fact, some of the things that Paul talks about. He says, since you have died in Him, and, uh, and, and by the way, when you die in Him, most people can't, shouldn't see you anymore, but they don't see the glory that is there. And, and Paul says, when He comes, then you, will see, then you will be able to see His glory. But until then, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We went over this list, kind of identified each one of them, and talked about them in length as to how they apply and how they affect a believer or a person that calls himself a believer, And which is very interesting because Paul is not talking about the people in the world. I mean, we see this in the world all the time. And Paul is not talking to them. He's talking to the church. And so we have to stop and pause and say, my God, what was going on in the church? That Paul had to address them in such a manner to put off these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In verse 7, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. Yes, yes. each one of us used to walk in, this, in these things, but we are to put to, to death those things. Verse 8, But now you must put them away. Here's some more. Here's another list. Those were sins outside the body, and these are sins within the body. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So Paul says, Stop lying to each other. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't argue with one another. You, put these things away. Those things ought to be put away. You know, one of the things that happens in some churches is that there always seems to be an argument of some sort. And usually when there's an argument, and, and there should be, I mean, we are imperfect people. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something. You're going to say something. You're going to do something. And It's going to irk you. It's going to irk me. And, 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 and this is why Paul is talking to this sinful church, because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We, should, we put that off, but the flesh continues to dwell where we continue to dwell in the flesh. And that flesh is the one flesh that's going to keep us coming back to that vomit, as the Proverbs would say. And Paul says, don't do these things. And because we're imperfect, and because we come together, and because we're broken, we have to make these allowances, and this is how we grow. This is how things are, Are, are we, we grow and we develop. Now look at the rest of this. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You were born in the image, of, you were created in the image of Christ, I should say. You were created in the image of Christ. You were created when God said, let us create man in, in our own image. He created you in his image. You are an image bearer. And you have God's image on you. The only thing is that we were formed in the image of God. We were, uh, we, we were deformed by sin in this world when we were born. But now Paul is saying you should be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what you should be. That is our goal. One of the verses that we talked about last week was in Romans chapter 28, 29, where Paul says that uh, those that you have been predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ, you have been conformed, you have been predestined so that you may be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And the whole purpose of your salvation is not so that you can be happy. Not that you can be blessed, not so that you can be rich, not so that all your sins can be just taken away, which they are, not not so that you can be able to be uh, whatever the case may you fill in the blank, but your purpose in this life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is your purpose, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. I know that there's been a lot stated about the purpose of your life, what your purpose should be and how you should be blessed and bless others and things you should do in order to fulfill your purpose. There are things that God gives you to do. That's right. And I'm sure God has something for you to do. But your purpose is not just that. Your purpose is to come, to be conformed into the image of Christ. And when we get that, we start to realize, am I walking in the image of Christ? Now we've talked about Paul stating to us that we should walk as Christians, not as the Gentiles do, we should walk, our lifestyle, should, our lifestyle as we're walking, the things that we should be doing, the things that we should be saying, it should getting away from the old and putting on the new, and, and this whole transformation thing for a lot of Christians, it, it, just, it doesn't seem to click for some. Oh no, God knows that I'm a work in progress. God knows that he's just dealing. This is the way he created me. This is how he made me. If he wants me to stop this, he would just knock it out of my hand or put me in a place where I need it. No, you need to walk. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. And in verse 12, which we're going to be touching on today, verse 12, <clears throat> put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for this portion of scripture that you've Let us do that we are in. Lord, we know that without any of this, without us understanding what we need to put off and what we need to put on, that we would just be floundering around. But we thank you for your instruction, clear guide in living and how it is that we are to live our life. And Lord, I know we've heard many messages and so many things as to what the purpose in life is and how it is that uh, we are to ask for and demand the blessings and to demand the changes in other people's lives. And and Father, we know those things will take take place. But first and foremost, as Paul has stated here, we need to put off and put on. We need to be clothed as your chosen ones. So Father, lead us through this portion of Scripture. As we dig deeper, we pray in Jesus' name and everybody says amen. Number 1. Putting on the new self. Paul says put on the new self. Put off the old self, put on the new self. The Bible tells us clearly in 1 Corinthians that you have you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. Now, it's interesting because there was a there was a time in my a theology and in my understanding that you were a dual person you had dual natures you had the old nature and the new nature and it was taught and it and i've taught it before this is years ago and not until we started Getting, coming around to the Reformed theological understanding of what the Bible says, that we go back to Scripture, and the Bible has always taught, you take off the old and you put on the new. The old is gone, the new has come. It's not an old and new fight and war that are struggling against each other, and this this is probably one of the reasons how, why a lot of Christians have a hard time with it. We are finding out, and we're seeing right here as we did with other portions of Scriptures uh, in the past, but years ago, and even now I think some people still teach that it is two. You got one and two. You have the flesh, that's right. Your flesh is still here and your flesh desires and your flesh wants and your flesh craves the world. All those things that the world has to offer, yes, our flesh craves that. That's why we have to put to death the flesh. We have to put to death the old man. Put him to death, not kind of let him hang out there in the side. You, you know, there's uh, there's there's this idea and this thought That if you have animals that you're raising and, for instance, chickens, and you have a dog that that would would tear it up or kill it. The thing to do is you would put, put that dead chicken, wrap it around its neck and let it walk around with this dead chicken on its neck. And eventually that dead, stinking flesh, he will get away from it. You see, you are not like an animal. You have to make that intentional putting off and growing putting off and growing, because there is a lot of deadness that we're still holding on to, and the Bible says you got to get rid of it. Paul is very, is very adamant about that. So the first thing we need to do, realize is putting on the new self is a once-and-done thing. It's once-and-done. You've died, so now you've resurrected. You've died to the old, you've resurrected to the new. You, you You have become a believer. You cannot become a believer and then later not be a believer and then become another believer. It's done. It's a one-time event. It's a, you come before the Lord and, and you bow before Him. You, you cry out to Him, say, Lord, I am a sinner. I come to realize on how terrible my life is. And one of the things that I didn't elaborate much on last week when I was talking about how God has chosen you and how God has elected you and how God has sovereignly predestined you, that, that He has to do that because on your own, you cannot do that. You won't do that. You are dead in your trespasses. You are at enmity before God. You are, uh, angry. You are mad at God. You, the Bible says that we hate God. The Bible says that there is no one righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. Now some of you are thinking, well, I, I know a lot of people that are seeking. What most people want are the benefits of God. They want the peace. They want the forgiveness. They want the the, the relief from any uh, anguish or any pain that may have happened to them or or the guilt that they might be suffering or, or the resentment that they might have. They want relief from any of these things that they're holding on to. Some of the things that they've done, some of the things that have been done to them, they want relief from that. They want what God offers but when you talk to people about what we're talking about today, you've got to sacrifice the flesh. Well, you know, I'm i just a work in progress. I'm I, I still like my old self. One of the biggest reasons a lot of people give me for not committing their life to Christ is because they don't want to give up their life, their friends, the things that they like to do. One person, one young man once told me, you know, I'll do it after I turn 21. Because when I turn 21, I just want to do whatever it is that I want to do. And so there is this understanding in our society today. And somebody, some of you probably have heard or even under, kind of know what's going on. This last week was called what they considered Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the day that uh, some people come to the church and they, they give up something for Lent. They give it up for 40 days. And Ash Wednesday is a spiritual trek or a spiritual journey that people go on as far as sacrificing something that they really love and some people sacrifice chocolate some people sacrifice sodas or drinking or some people yeah i know chocolate what i just, i'm not going to give that up uh some people sacrifice drinking some people sacrifice whatever it is they, they put it aside for 40 days now the interesting thing about this is the day before that there is another holiday and it's called and some of you probably know this holiday it's called mardi gras have you guys ever heard of mardi gras okay i mean did you know that that was a spiritual holiday that's a spiritual holiday by the way it's the day marty is a tuesday and gras is from greece or fat and it's called fat tuesday and that day has been instituted by the church so they can go out and do whatever it is that you want to do before you come in all hung over and everything else on ash wednesday get it all out of the way because for 40 days you're going to be doing without you see putting off the old is not a temporal thing for 40 days it's not a, a you know for, for even 40 years it's for eternity and there are a lot of people that are caught up in this cycle that they believe that you know as long as I can put it off for 40 days I should be good you know and and the day before I'm going to New Orleans or some people don't even have to go that far just go to your local pub and there it is doing everything that you want to do whatever it is you just let it go and on Wednesday I'm going to church and I'm going to give it up for Lent you see, Paul has been dealing with this type of thought process in the Church of Colossus. No, you're dead. Put that deadness aside. Put it away. That is no good for you. See, and once you've put it aside, it's once and done. You no longer have to go back and do it again and go back and do it again and go back and do it again. And many people come and they commit their life to the Lord. They commit their life to the Lord. They want to get saved again. They want to get saved. You're sa- Either you're saved or you're not. Beloved, and if you're saved, then you want to please your Savior, because He saved us. And you might ask, what did He save us from? And I've said this before, He saved us from Himself. Because of the wrath of God, these things are coming, we just read. The, The wrath of God is coming because of these things. What did He save you from? He saved you from His own wrath. That's what He saved you from. And so this putting on or you know taking on putting on this new self, you kill the old self, you put it aside, and you bring the new self. it's a once and done thing. The old self is the unregenerated self, the former way of existing, the former way of how we used to be in Adam. Adam brought sin in, and Jesus Christ took sin out and so there is this 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 uh old man, which is Adam, you you put him out, and Jesus Christ is a new man. And now we need to grow in that. And the things that we need to put to death, we just read in verses 5 through 9, those things that we need to put off. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul is talking about the same thing. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That is which is being replaced now by the regenerated self. The unfortunate thing is that this is this self has to grow, and I'll show you this in just a little bit. Again in Ephesians 4 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. The way that we used to walk, the way that uh, walk again is a lifestyle, the way that we used to live our life was to walk in this manner, in this sec, in this way, you know, taking on the world as we, we would. Uh, In in verse uh, 5 and 8 of Ephesians, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the Lord. And so Paul goes on and he tells us in Ephesians 5.15, this is not in your outlines, but look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, walking, dressing, and putting on, changing, sacrificing, dying, all those are pictures of ways that Paul is trying to convey your life needs to be different cannot be the same you cannot be the same old person loving God's law loving God's son hating sin pursuing righteousness pursuing holiness you want to know what's a genuine Christian look like what what does one look like besides you know no longer drinking smoking and chewing and all that other stuff you want to know what a Christian looks like a Christian is one that loves God loves God's people loves Jesus Christ hates sin And, and, and they're so just put off by sin and, and there's, you know, it, it should sicken you to even think about the sin that you used to do. Your, your desire now is to, to not only love God, but love God's people and, and attend and, and worship together and sing together. The, the picture of a, of a regenerated man is one that desires after God. When a person is desiring God in in the most basic and simple way as a child desires milk. As a child desires the love of a mother or a father. The the desire of how a child, and this is why Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you should come after me as a child. Because a child is a perfect example of what we are. We come to God just wanting to to please Him, to to do what it is that would make Him smile. To do those things that we see in Scripture and to be obedient. to, To love Him, not to be disobedient. And and a regenerated person is one that is willing to go the extra mile to do whatever it takes. Now, I know it's a cold morning. And and I'm not saying that those that aren't here don't love Jesus Christ. But, but, you know, you are showing an extra, you know, I want to be there. And and there's nothing spectacular about our building. There's nothing spectacular about this pastor. There's nothing spectacular about our music. But what you do desire is the truth. And the truth that I share with you has come straight out of God's word. And because God's word is being spoken to you in truth, you desire to hear that. Now, you would probably prefer a different looking pastor, a younger guy, I don't know, but you know, this is all you got, okay, sorry. This is is what you got, you know. But I'm going to share with you the truth until the day I die. Now, you know what, and and I'm going to struggle with you, and I'm going to walk with you, and we're going to grow together, and we're going to develop together, we're going to love together. But that's one of the reasons why you are here. Because you desire to know the truth. And, you know, and I know there's people that are listening online that, that, uh, they come back later and says, you know, that we, we come and we listen because of what you say. I'm sharing with you what the Bible says. And so as we grow together, we start putting on the new self. Number two, putting on the new self is not only once and done, but it's also ongoing. It's also ongoing. Okay, Pastor, that's kind of a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Isn't one of those oxymorons or, uh, those paradoxes that you were talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a paradox. It's once and done, you're saved, but it's ongoing. you got to constantly put on new clothes. And, and you know, it's interesting because the word that Paul uses is the kind of word that he would, you, you would use to put on new clothes. When the first century Christians were being baptized, they would literally take off their old clothes and put on some new clothes as they came out and they were baptized in them and signifying and, and symbolizing that they are now new. This is the lifestyle I want to wear, I want to use, I want to walk in. And in your case, it would be taking off all the old habits, all the old relationships, all the old places that you used to visit. Taking off, and it's kind of like, now your dress is different. And some of you, you know, you dress differently now. I mean, I don't generally walk around with a sports coat on, I don't. You know, but I want to signify or symbolize that I dress differently. Not that I want everyone to wear a sports coat, or even a tie or a suit. But something happens on the outside that is different That people recognize. And so it's ongoing. And you don't wear the same suit or the same dress or the same... You know, you change them up a little bit. But but sometimes it's because of the circumstances. Like today, I would have really been concerned if some of you would have came in shorts and flip-flops. Now, there have been times that people showed up with shorts and flip-flops, but today would not have been the day. (laughs) There's something really not right here, brother. What's going on? You know, you dress appropriately. And with your life... Sometimes you have to put on this undergarment. And we're going to go through this undergarment here in just a little bit. And this undergarment that you're putting on, you have to put it on before you put on the spiritual armor of God. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, your feet that are shod in the gospel of peace. You know, the sword, which is the word of God, the shield of faith. All of this undergarment has to go on. uh, Symbolically speaking. Okay, I mean, it's not a one and two, it's both and. Okay, and, and the way that this all works is that you've got to start in the heart. It's got to go in from the inside. And so it's ongoing, which is being renewed in knowledge and after the image of its creator. And the way that it's being renewed is through knowledge. Now, this is a very key word for Paul, Gnosis. Because remember, the people that were teaching these people in Colossus, we're Gnostics, which comes from the word Gnosis. And Gnosticism is uh, this idea of higher learning, this higher knowledge. And Paul hits it right in the gut by saying, oh, this is, by the way, you want to put on this new self, which is being renewed? It's being renewed in knowledge. Okay? No, not their knowledge. In the knowledge of God. In the knowledge of God's word. This is why I'm writing to you. And so the idea had always been this, what they were teaching. And Paul comes and says, no, it's this. It's knowledge. Possession of the new self does, does bring believers to a new life. But it's not an instant spirituality. It's not something you can pop in the microwave, set it for two minutes and it's done. It's a process. And the flesh will continually dangle that old garment. Hey, remember this? Remember how this used to look on you? Whoa, it looks good. Remember? Come on, let's put it on. Let's go out. Let's let's go out. Come on, let's try it. And and the flesh will constantly look at that. And you got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. The further you get away from it, the better it is. The battle is always against the flesh throughout the life. And the new self is complete, yet the capacity for growth is still there. You got to grow. Just as a baby, and, and you grow, and it's being renewed in knowledge. Look at, look at Romans 12.2 in your outlines. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants you to be transformed he wants you to be transformed, not just from the outside, but from your mind. Let the mind be changed. Transformed is a word that uh, it, it's a word that literally means to to metamorphosize. To, to metamorphosize, like like a a, a a butterfly metamorphosizes from a, a caterpillar, and it is transformed. The same body, same mind, same, but it is transformed. It's thinking differently. You think different about the world. You think different about God. You think different about God's word. You think different about God's people. Before you didn't want anything to do with, you want the blessings. Yeah, I want the blessings, but, but don't, don't put me in a box. Don't, don't, don't put me in a, at a church that I have to be at on Sunday mornings. You know, it, the sun's out. Man, come on, look, it looks nice outside. What am I doing here? I should be out on the snow, on the slopes, or whatever the case may be. You know, and and you're transformed because you're thinking differently now. And Paul says, "I want you to grow to maturity. I want you to grow. And how do you grow? Well, it's it's used in the Word of God, the Word of God. Some of you remember Second uh, Timothy three sixteen to seventeen. Can I put somebody on the spot? <laughs> this is one of our Bible study uh, memory verses. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. I know I put you guys on the spot. Don't make me stand up. (laughs) All, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How do you get the knowledge? Through God's word. You see, and Paul is dealing with this. It doesn't come from other revelation. You know, the thing about outside revelation from other places other people you know supposedly have heard from God is number one is that if it agrees with God's word then you don't need it you don't need somebody to tell you what you already know well God says that I, I should come here and, and tell everybody that that God loves you I know that but 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 he came to me directly to tell you really Yes, I need to tell you, I, I met with God this morning. He didn't say, well, yeah, he did say he loved me already, but as far as how it is supposed to ha- you know, I don't know. But again, also, if it contradicts God's word, you don't want it. You don't need it and you don't want it. Outside revelation always leads to this elitism. I'm special. I'm a little bit more higher than you are because I heard directly from God. Right, that would have been a good uh, echo. <laughs> i i'm special i'm elevated because i heard directly from the word of god there you go <laughs> yeah, and that's how they do it you got a nice sound man back there you know you've got all these you know there was this picture of a church building that, that, that i saw on facebook and a pastor walks in and there's this smoke And it's covering the the pews, and he says, Oh my God, the Holy Spirit. And he just posted it all over Facebook and come to find out that somebody left the smoke machine on it, you know, overnight that they were practicing with for to get that, you know, that, that that idea that God is here. Beloved, you don't need outside revelation. You have the word of God. It's always been God's word. That's where you get your knowledge. Again, I said this earlier, like newborn babes, infants long for the pure spiritual milk that comes from, from the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, the outlines, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And you need to bear that image. That's the image that you were created in. You were once in dust, and now you are in spirit. And let the Spirit of God lead you to the Word of God. Number three, putting on the new self is for God's chosen. You know, we can't expect this, as I was saying earlier, you can't expect this kind of uh, clothing or attitude to, we can't expect the world to act this way. Let me put it that way. You know, a lot of times we are so, like, disgusted, oh, I can't believe it, look what they're doing, but that's the world. Look Look at how their, their their relations are, look at how what they're saying, look at what they're doing to the children and to the schools and... But that's the world. That's You can't expect them to live to God's standard. You see, this direction, this Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, I know it's elementary, but B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, is for you. This is for you. This is for the believers, those that have committed their life to Christ. Okay, Lord, what do I do? I'm glad you asked, because here it is. Take it, drink it, eat it. This is for you. But how come the world doesn't do it? Because they're the world. That's a whole different culture. You have Christ. That's the world. You got the word. You have God. They're godless. And you can't expect them to act like this. This is why Paul is saying, I can't believe you guys are acting this way. And as a matter of fact, he... uh, he he points out a few things here in verse eleven. Here, there is not Greek or Jew. Again, remember the Greeks were the ones that were in Coloss. They were the ones that weren't Jewish. They didn't understand the Jewish traditions and all those things. They understood Gnosticism. They understood the other gods and everything else. They understood that because that's kind of what they were. They grew up in all these various gods. As a matter of fact, for the world, they used to call Christians atheists. You were considered an atheist. You say what? Yeah, because you only had one god. And every, those guys, they had all kinds of gods. Man, you guys are like, I can't believe you guys are trying to get, get through this world with just one god? See, I have a god for the sun, I have a god for the water, I have a god for the dirt, I got a god for the, You know, on and on and on and on. Did you forget one? Oh my god, did I forget one of them? I hope I didn't forget one. Oh no, yeah, and they were running around scared because maybe they forgot one that they had to worship to. And so, to the world, you're considered An atheist. But you have one God. And that's how the Greeks were. But the Greeks and the Jews, Paul says, there is no Greek and Jew here. Not in this economy of God. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. You don't have to follow the traditions. There is uh, no barbarian or, or Scythian or slave or free. Or there isn't any of those. And I talked a little bit about you know the Greeks and the Jews, uh, circumcised or the uncircumcised. Basically, circumcision was a ritual that the Jewish people needed to do in order for them to be long and be chosen by God. But Paul's already said, you are God's chosen people. You don't have to be certain. You don't have to follow those traditions, those customs. Basically, is what he's talking about. Circumcised, uncircumcised. The customs, and that not only on the act of, but also the customs that follow with it. All the things that you must do on certain days, certain times, certain holidays, certain foods, and everything else that comes along with it. You don't have to partake of that, because Paul says, there is no barbarian. Barbarian was a a culture, uh, nothing like the Greeks, Greeks... Were you know at least intellectual? They had a, an understanding, but a barbarian was kind of like a dumb person. As a matter of fact, they called them barbarians because of the way they sounded. Bar 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 bar. That's how they. But that's they made fun of them. That they only sound like bar bar. They're barbarians. That's why they called them barbarians. It's kind of like a child. You call him a child because he's ba 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 ba, and that's what these people sounded like. And so they were unschooled, didn't have any education, dumb, ignorant. You know. And so they wouldn't have anything to do with them. Scythians, as I said last week, these were the, probably the, the crudest, most vilest people on the planet. They, they're the ones that uh, would go and decapitate their enemy and they would cut their skulls in half and use the skulls as bowls to drink out of. They would just do some vile things. And Scythians were just like, you just didn't want anything to do with these guys. But here Paul is saying this, look, I know that there's Greeks. I know that there's Jews. And I know some of you guys are circumcised. Some of you guys aren't. I know there's barbarians. And, Scythians, you guys are, and they're slave people. And there's slaves that you slaves were just used as they were considered to be a human tool. And, And as a tool, they were just part of the barnyard tool. Now, slavery in the in those days is not like what you think about it today. I know that the most of the attention has been drawn to the negative side of slavery. I don't agree with slavery. I'm not trying to say that. But I think with that we've glorified or you know, probably amplified more the, the ruthlessness of man and how they treated other people, let alone just slaves as, as well. But for the most part, there were people that had slaves that became part of their plantation. don't know if you remember the movie, um, The Patriot with Mel Gibson, and uh, they, they came up to him and they told the slaves, look, anybody that, is, is, that works for the queen... Uh, of, of of England, then you will be freed. And the guy says, "Well, we are free men. We, we we own this land. I mean, we work this land. Everything that we work on this land is ours. That's the arrangement that the plantation owners had. Some, and of course, we look at the the negative side of it. But slavery has always been wrong in the eyes of the world, especially in how it was handed out, uh, starting from way back then, as far as the days of Noah. And, and but slaves were wanting to be part of the house." manager's kingdom that you know we want to be part of we owe money could you pay our debt yes you want to be my slave yeah all Well, right. we'll be my slave and pay off your debt once the debt is paid off then i'll you know you guys can leave but the slaves found that they were really being treated nice they had their own property they had their own working and so in order to be a permanent slave they would put an owl through their owl uh, hole uh, through their through their earlobe and made them uh, a slave and an ownership and but they were just slaves they were tools like, I don't know about you, but I, I take real good care of my tools. I got special drawers for my tools. I hang them up, you know, because I, I want to know where my tools are at. I, they cost me a lot of money, but I use them. They're not part of my family. And that's kind of how it was in those days as well. But you had no rights. You had no say-so. You were a slave. And you had free people as well. You treated them as, you know, just another tool. You wouldn't give them the respect that you would another person. And in this group of people that Paul is talking about, he says, these are the people that belong to the church. I'm amazed in how a lot of times churches, you know, that we we have various types of people from various types of backgrounds. We have young, we have old, we have, you know, all sorts of nationalities. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm going to tell you guys something. Your pastor, he's Mexican. (laughs) I knew I was going to get one of those. And it is, you know, it is besides some people that say, I ain't going to a church like that as a Mexican for a pastor. Yet, that's the way God had intended it to be. We are to be different. Not the same. But we have the same uh, God, the same head. And each one of us have a different gift and a different, what we give to the body, to bless the body. And so those things shouldn't matter. They shouldn't. But unfortunately, in some places... It does. Let me get to uh, the rest of this, the, the scripture here. Putting on the new self transform you. It trans- transforms you. Or it's transformational if you want to write. Paul says that put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's the list. Here he describes what God expects of the believer. A righteous identity must issue a righteous behavior. Remember, we started talking about how beliefs dictate your behavior believes what they do is they flow out of your behavior your behavior flows out of what you believe what you do you do it because you believe that that's what you must do everything you do comes from a from a a solid understanding of how you are to operate in this world if you believe that you got to get ahead by any means possible you're going to lie you're going to cheat you're going to steal to do whatever it takes to get ahead but if you believe that the Bible says that you need to conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the sacrifice of Christ, well, those things are going to be out of, they're dead. They're with the dead self. And we've already discussed a lot of the dead self stuff. And now we're going to discuss the new stuff. So these are the things that we ought to put on. And the behavior is shown as we grow inwardly. From the inside, it starts to grow, and these are the things for the, those who have been chosen by God. Now, we talked about the chosenness of God and how you were chosen last week. We spent uh, quite a bit of time on that. But he says, first of all, put on compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Okay? A compassionate heart, first of all, compassion is, 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 is this love. It's a, it's a deep inside, uh, feeling, and uh, more than a feeling, but it's an, it's a knowing. See, for the Jewish people, they didn't, really look at feeling as much as they did as knowing you see they knew that when they loved something or something hurt them really bad it would hurt them down to the the bowels of their body into the heart their heart would literally ache or they would cramp up somehow in their stomach and and they would have these butterflies I guess you would call them. And this compassion, this the heart, as a matter of fact, is what, what it's translated, it refers to the innermost part of the body, kind of like the guts or the lungs or the, the liver or the kidneys. And, and you would feel these this emotion down there. So for the Jewish person, it wasn't a feeling as much as it was something that happened to them. And so to say that something was happening in their heart or they felt it in their heart, it was something that made you just, oh, man, you know, it gave you that type of a feeling. And so for, for compassionate hearts, Paul is basically telling us that what we need to feel is have this deep gut level of compassion. Now, this is more than just like. This is more than just love. This is more than just, you know, wanting to appease or do good. This is a compassion. This is a desire. This is, you know, if I don't do this, I I will not be the same. And Paul says that we need to have compassionate hearts toward one another. This is what we have to put on from deep down inside. It's it's this, this ability to feel it, this kindness that Paul talks about. Kindness is not harsh. It's concerned about others' goods. And it's a, it's concerned, kind of like what we said a little while ago about the homeless being cold and you know, you're concerned about them, but, but we don't have that compassion at heart for them where it makes us ill or, or hurts us for them. We feel bad, we want to do something nice, which is okay, and it's and it's closely related to compassion, but it's a concern about others' goods, not, not just your own good, but you, you want to make sure that they are good. A lot of times we do things that are kind in order to make ourselves look better. As a matter of fact, many times we'll go and some people will go and they'll, they'll serve the homeless. They'll bring meals and they'll come, you know, here, I brought you a meal. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get it. There you go. Wait, 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 get a tear on there. Ah, oh, there you go. And we do it so that, and we post it. And it's posted on Facebook. Look what I did. That's not kindness. That's really selfish uh, gratification. You know, you're, it's ulterior motive. A lot of times the things that we do out of kindness is because we want something in return. I did this for you, now you should do something for me. However, the kindness that Paul talks about here is, it's not harsh, it's not something that you want to uh, make sure that you get something back, but it's genuinely concerned about another person. Humility was a word that the Greeks had a hard time with. You didn't find it in the Greeks literature. Humility was not, as a matter of fact, it was the Christians, Paul himself, that made humility uh, and elevated that word to a point of a virtue. For the Greeks, being humble just wasn't part of their understanding. For a Greek, it's no, no, no. We're smart. We're intelligent. I got to put everybody else down. I got to lift myself up. I don't put myself down. I am not humble in that sense. But it took Christianity to elevate it to the point of a virtue, of something that really meant something. And it's an antidote for the self-love that poisons relationships. A lot of times, we want to be loved, and so we want to be kind. We, We say we're compassionate because we want that love. But humility always puts, not puts itself, but thinks of itself uh, in comparison to God. We don't think less of ourselves. We think of ourselves less. It's not that I'm thinking that I'm less or worse or, you know, I'm no good. That's not humility. Some people say, you know, I'm no good. I don't do anything right. You know, you think you're being humble. And then people come alongside you. No, 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 really, you do a lot of good things right. You're really good. No, 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 I'm not. That's false humility. I know a lot of people that do that. You know, I'm worthless, I'm no good. Really? No, 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 you are. No, no, no. And the more you say no, the more people come around you and they elevate you. Okay, I guess. I feel better now. I got my dose of humility. I'm all right. And and, and humility really is just not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Actually, putting yourself, if you want to think of yourself, humility is sizing yourself up with God. When you size yourself up to God, that is humbling. That is humbling. When you come up to a mountain, you see the height of this mountain and just the strength of it, it's humbling. When you come up to those things that are greater and bigger than you, you size yourself up to that, that is humbling. And humility is one of the characteristics, one of the virtues that every Christian needs to have alongside with meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, meekness is power under control. One of the things that I mentioned before is that meekness, meekness is really the when, when you have a, a wild horse, it has a lot of power, it has a lot of strength, and it'll cause all kinds of damage just going all over the place. But in order for it to make it useful, you have to make that horse meek. And the way you make a horse meek is by breaking it, by getting a saddle on it, getting somebody on it, getting it used to being used by another person. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. When you've tamed a horse, you've tamed it to the point of power under control. And it's not saying that you don't have any power or you don't have any control. It's just that you will use that strength at the appropriate time. Jesus was a very mean person, yet he turned over the tables at the temple. Remember that? He made a whip. You know, He just didn't start beating everybody up, but he constrained his power. It was under control for the cause of Christ, for the cause of God. So meekness is, is power. You, you know, just like a storm, just like the wind. You know, we, we can go outside and it's hot and the wind is blowing. And But but you know, when it's out of control, it'll topple down trees. It will cause hurricanes. You, you know, medicine. Medicine is, as well, just a little dose is, is good. But if you take too much of it, it's out of control. It can kill you. See, that's what meekness is. When you are meek, you understand your strength, your power, your capabilities, and you put it under control for the cause of Christ. pulses. that's what you need to do. Have patience. Ah, patience. Everybody prays for patience. How many pray for patience? Yes? yeah, Many of you guys pray for patience. All right, yeah, we, should, we do. And uh, actually, patience, well, you already have it if you're a believer. The Bible says that in um, Galatians 5.22... That you have the fruit of the Spirit in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they all build on each other. We'll talk about love here in just a little bit. But makruthumiyah, thumas is anger. Thumas is, is uh, you know, just but, but it's holding it back. Makruthumiyah is the patience of not getting angry at others. Of not just unleashing But again, putting that meekness into play and putting that anger under control. That's what what patience is. Patience is having a long-tempered rather than short-tempered fuse. Now, how many of you guys like to have that one? Patience. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another is basically enduring to the end. Just bearing. Just, you know what, I'm going to endure. I'm going to hold on and I'm going to keep doing it in spite of what seems to be happening to me all the time. I bear with one another. The Bible talks about laboring and bearing with one another all the time. And it's to endure to the end and to hold back and not to retaliate. And one of the first things that happens when we get disrespected, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to lash out. Now the Bible says don't do that. You bear with one another. But they disrespected me. The Bible says don't do that. But they're going to get away with it. The Bible says don't do that. As a matter of fact, what you need to do is forgive, which is the next one. Forgive? Yes. See, forgiveness is not for them forgiveness is for you you see there's a lot of hurt and pain and a lot of things that have happened to you in your life by past relationships by i don't know a relative somebody that you trusted and there are things that have happened in your life that you are just you know you don't know what happened it was at no fault of your own And you've been holding on to this resentment. And you have said in your heart and in your mind that I will die before I forgive them. Well, guess what? You will die. Because resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, all of that. It causes all kinds of physiological effects on your body. You get high blood pressure. You get, you know... Cancer comes from high stress. You, you can't sleep. You can't, you can't wake up. You're depressed. I mean, there's all kinds of internal problems that go on inside of your bowels. And I mean, it's just, it causes a, a wreck on your life. But you got to forgive. But if I forgive them, they're going to get away. No, they're not. See, it's not for them. This is for you. Forgive one another. Always forgive. You know, because if you don't, then you're going to, Be sticking with it and holding on to it, and it's going to cause more damage in your life than you could ever imagine. Well, how do I know when I've forgiven them? Well, what did Jesus say? Well, forgive them seven times. Do I forgive them seven times? Peter asked, Jesus, do I forgive my brother seven times? Which, by the way, for the Jew, you forgive them three times, and then that's it. You don't have to deal with them anymore. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. That's it. You're dead to me. So Peter, when he came to Jesus, he says, "Sorry, do I forgive him seven times? So I'm going to forgive him three times and three more, and I'll just throw an extra one in there just because. Just seven times? Jesus says, no. You do it 70 times seven. Now Peter didn't go over and start doing the math. Okay, He didn't do the math. What Peter understood and what Jesus meant was you continue to forgive until it doesn't bother you anymore. Until it doesn't hurt. And that, beloved, is a very hard thing to do. Especially for some of you that have been deeply hurt. And then you've been hurt for all these years. And it just for whatever reason, just can't seem to get rid of it. Because you keep playing it over and over and over and over in your head. But the Bible says, if you're a believer, you take all that stuff off and you put on this, this garment, this portion of forgiveness. And what you do is you literally forgive them. And you go up to the person, you know what, I just want you to know that I forgive you. And that is, I believe, a very big part of forgiveness. When you can actually go face to face with a person and say, I forgive you. The bad thing about that is because it might have happened years ago, you know, back when you don't even remember, or they don't even remember. You go up to them and tell them, you know, I, I want you to know this happened, and I, I want to forgive you. They're going to look at you and say, I never did. What are you talking about? I don't even remember. Well, it doesn't matter. I do. And I want to forgive you for that. You're stupid. And you'll know that you have forgiven them when that doesn't affect you. And it is something that each one of us need to do. Now, for some of you, you know, the people that might have hurt you are no longer around or alive, or, you know, their lives would be just, you know, you have to weigh it out. Sometimes just a letter, write it out to them. But if I forgive them, they're going to come back into my life. Oh, no, 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 no. Beloved, forgiveness does not mean that. Forg- See, forgiveness is a must. But trust is a different issue. You don't have to let them back in your life. I mean, you can let them back in your life once you've seen the repentance, once they've actually repented and said, I'm sorry. That's, that's one, another thing that can happen. You know what? You're right. I've been holding on to this. I, I've done this, and it was bad, and it was wrong. Please, thank you for forgiving me. I, I'm sorry. I repent, basically, is what they're saying then there's fellowship. And that's the goal of it. But if not, you you do your part and you say, you know what, Lord, you handle it. You deal with it. Write a letter. Write a letter, burn it, bury it, whatever. But you need to get it to the point where you can talk about it freely and let it go. Because that takes care of it. And the last thing I want to share with you is putting on the new self is complete in love. If all of these are pieces of clothing then the belt that holds it all together is love. As Paul says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you don't do it in love, then you know what happens There is It is just, it's nothing. It's legalism. Okay, I can forgive. Doesn't mean I have to love them. Yeah, I'll bear with one another, but you know what, just because I have to. Meekness, Mm, I'll put my power under control. You know, I'll go home and I'll beat up my furniture, kick my dog, I don't know. Humility? (laughs) You know, I think I'm humble. I think, I'm, you know, I'm probably one of the best humble people. You know what, as a matter of fact, I'm so humble, I'm going to write a book about it. Tell everybody how humble I am. Yeah, that's all. Kind? I'm always kind. Compassionate hearts? Oh, I can be, I can always say, aw. I can do it. See, if it's not wrapped up in love, then it's just legalism. It's just something that you have to do. But in love, you want to do. Love, first of all, is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is not something that, that that comes out of your heart. Love has always been in action. Love is always an act of self-sacrifice. Always. Always has been. Nothing else but a self-sacrifice. You see, love in the Bible never means a romantic or sexual love. You know, it's a word that means, uh, it's the word agape. And agape is the the you know sacrificial love it's the love that i love you in spite of what you say or in spite of what anybody else says love in the bible never means emotional he's not talking about a tingly sensation or this you know oh the, the the you know my liver and my quiver my quiver and my liver is making me you know all kinds of dizzy for you and it's none of that it, it it doesn't mean that it's it's an emotional love it's not a, a, a you know it's a uh, ecstasy love and it's not a romantic love it's it's not a friendly love of tolerance there's there's other words for those by the way in a romantic love there's the word erase where we get our word erotic and that's that passionate love that you have for a, a spouse or a loved one and then the brotherly love is philo where we get our word love or like adolphus's brother Philodolphos or philadelphia is the brother of city of the, the city of brotherly love i'm getting a little bit too fast there but it, it doesn't mean this, oh, I just love you, man. Y'all, man. I love pizza. Oh, I love my car. That's that you know, feeling of brotherly love type of thing. You know, I just love this and I love that. We throw that word around like crazy. And so for us, love is a little bit, you know, we don't know because we only have one word for love. I love my dog. I love my car and I love my wife you know, and I love pizza. So I mean, that's, that's how we use it. But see, for, for God, the best way to describe it is John 3.16. God, he's in, an, in an act of self-sacrifice, God said this, for, uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Think about this. Now, mix in or put in one of the words that we just described a little while ago, like romantic love, if that's what that means. For God so romantically loved the world that He gave His Son. That doesn't fit. Or think of it, for God so emotionally loved the world that he gave his own begotten son. Or maybe for God really liked you like a, loved you like a brother. You see, for God, agape love is always an act of self-sacrifice. God self-sacrificed himself. And when we talk about love in the church, it is not just, you know, I love you, brother. I love this. I love that. No. When we talk about love, we're talking about a self-sacrifice. The last first on your outline, it says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, in the self-sacrificing love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. You see, this love, it's not this kind of love that the world gives you. It's not an emotion. It's something that you do. It's self-sacrificing. And we do that for our children, our babies. We should be doing that for our spouses as well. We do it self-sacrificing. We, we put ourselves aside and we sacrifice for our spouses. That's agape love. You self-sacrifice your comfort at home to come to church. And right now you're self-sacrificing. The time i just realized i've gone way over but you're self-sacrificing for it because you're hearing the word of god you self-sacrifice for those that you genuinely love and the when the world talks about love you got to understand that they're talking about something totally different well there is a love in greek there's there's an eros love neurotic love there's a philadelphia love a, a brotherly love there is there's other, there's other forms of love as well in the Bible. But when the Bible talks about God's love, it's an agape love. It's self-sacrificing. People, when they get married, I mean, I had a couple come in one time and uh, they says, you know, Pastor, we want to get married. I said, ah, why do you want to get married? They said, well, because I love him. Oh, he just makes me, my, my, my head just goes all dizzy every time I'm next to him. I go, really? <laughs> okay. Well, let me give you some scenarios. You know, in, 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 in actuality, two people that are committed to God Have committed to one another to serve God together. See, it's not necessarily love that brings two people together. What it is, it is the committed commitment to Christ. And out of that, beloved, you will learn how to love. And for some, it might take years because we've been so self-centered and selfish and spoiled all our lives. So it might take years to put yourself aside and put the other one first. But you'll get there because you're committed. What's, you know what the number one marriage, number one, uh, reason for divorce is? The number one reason for divorce is, well, of course, marriage. You, know, you can't get divorced unless you're married. But the number one reason for divorce is, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. You never did. When you come to a marriage, you commit to one another. When you come to the church, you commit to one another. When you come, up, when you come to the body of Christ, you commit your life to Christ. Because once you commit, yeah, there's going to be some times that We're not going to click. You know, there's going to be some times that you might want to, you know, kill your neighbor, but don't do it. There's going to be some times when you know you and your wife are not going to, you know, communicate well, but you're committed. You're committed to ask for forgiveness for that sin, and to grow in love. Let me ask you to stand. These are the clothing that Paul says that we need to put on. See, when you love, you can forgive. You can be gracious. When you love, you can bear. You can hold back and not retaliate. See, see when you love, you can have patience. You can have long, uh, long temper instead of a short temper. When you love genuinely, agape love, you can put your power under control. When you love, you have a proper view of yourself. When you compare yourself to God, when you love, you, you're gentle, not harsh. You're concerned about others' goods. When you love, you have this deep gut level of compassion. You see how that all holds together? And, and what Paul is trying to teach us here is that, number one, the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank You that You loved us yes. in spite of ourselves. Oh, we were wicked sinners. We, I, I can say that I was a Scythian. Some barbarians here, some of those that were very traditional and uh, you, you had all these rules and regulations that they were following. Father, each one of us were lost, totally lost without You. And You loved us. Even though when we were sinners, Christ died for us, and so I ask you, Father, that to um, help us understand how to love, put ourselves aside this self-sacrifice that we need, we must have. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. As you grow the love for each other here, we thank you. And we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, "Amen." amen and "Amen." All right, you're dismissed. Thank you, guys, for putting up.